And so we're turning to God's Word as we normally do. This Sunday is no different. In fact, uh, we are going to jump right back into Mark, uh, where we left off. Uh, I know for, for some uh, that have here, come here this morning, you know, it's not easy to make that choice. Um, but thank you for being here for those who are at home. Our prayers are with you uh, as well. But we're going to be going back to Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to 72. Uh, in fact, we're not handing out Bibles this morning to try to maintain some of that um, safety precautions as well. Um, but all of you, I see, have your Bibles with you. If not, you've got that little digital Bible uh, that's in your pocket. So open that up. Open up that app to Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 66 to 72. And the title of the sermon this morning is The Disastrous Denial. The Disastrous Denial. We're going to continue to walk through this gospel here this morning, following in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, following uh, his disciples as well, always learning what it means to be a disciple by seeing how the Lord uh, was apprenticing them, raising them up, discipling them. And so we look again to the scriptures. What do you have, Lord, for us this morning? Verses 66 to 72. This morning we're going to witness one of the most kind of ironic, shocking, heartbreaking stories of discipleship in the Bible, in the New Testament. You know, as Jesus foretold over and over again that he was going to be betrayed, right? And he's going to be taken into the hands of sinners as he foretold that he would also be betrayed by Judas And as he foretold that his disciples would all fall away, he even foretold that Simon Peter, his most loyal disciple, would ultimately deny him three times before the evening was out. Do you remember how Peter responded to to Christ's words when he said that he said, even though they all fall away, I will not. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. You know, Peter was convinced, he was convinced that he would stand with Jesus to the very end, under any threat, even the threat of death. Peter is not going to deny Jesus. I don't know about you, but Simon Peter is is one of my favorite apostles to study. I love his dynamic character, how his journey has such highs and such lows. And it has so much to teach us about ourselves and our own walk uh, with Jesus. But it also teaches us of the faithfulness of God to transform and change and use weak, feeble, foolish people for his glory. As you study the life of Peter, he is no flatline character, right? He is no flatline character. He is dynamic. He was impulsive. He was over-eager. He was charismatic. He was overconfident. He was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth, asking questions upon questions, answering before thinking. But yet he was a leader among the disciples. He was the rock that was being raised up by Jesus Christ. He was the one who would become a powerful preacher, an author of Scripture, and ultimately a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur says in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, it's a great book, he says, Peter's name is mentioned in the gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter. No one is spoken of by the Lord as often as Peter. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter, and no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly, yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. Dynamic character. Lots to learn. Friends, Peter is a, he's a piece of work. He was a moving target, and he's, he's foolish in so many ways, but he's a perfect picture how, how God takes an ordinary fool like you and me and produces extraordinary faith. But along the way, it isn't pretty. Peter has many disastrous fumbles, and we see his greatest fumble today in the text 
as he disastrously denies his Lord and Savior before men. Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. Father, we need to hear from you as you speak through your word. We thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, through weak and foolish men, you wrote the scriptures and you wrote them infallibly. You wrote them perfectly. You wrote them sufficiently so that we can know exactly what you have to say. Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful, that it cuts deep, but it also puts us back together. Lord, as we uh, look into this account of, of the Apostle Peter, your rock, would you teach us, would you grow us by his example? Would you reveal to us areas that we are weak, things to be watching for in our life, and maybe by the Spirit, by your word, by your strength alone, stand with you to the end. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. Preach your word to your people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so as we turn to Peter's disastrous denial today, we're also going to turn the mirror on ourselves, right, as we always do, and we want to ask the Lord what he has for us here, what he's going to teach us. What does the Holy Spirit want to confront within us today? How can we become more like Jesus Christ? As we look at the failures of, of, of one of his disciples, so when we look at Peter's denial, we remember that in many ways we're just like him. We remember that we deny Christ all the time. But then we ask ourselves, when we are denying Jesus before others, what are we really doing? What's going on? And so as we look at Peter disastrously denying Jesus, we see him do it three times. You and I are going to have some insights as well into our own walk with the Lord, things to be watching for, weaknesses of foolishness as well. And it's going to teach us um, how to be more conformed to the image of Christ. And the first thing that we want to apply this morning is this. To disguise yourself is to deny Christ. To disguise yourself is to deny Christ. Let's look at, look at verse 66. And as Peter was be below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Brothers and sisters, to disguise yourself to deny your identity as a Christian before others is to deny Jesus Christ. As we enter this scene, we see Peter here in a courtyard. And we remember the context from last week of what's going on here, right? Jesus was recently betrayed by Judas, and then he was arrested by the crowd. His disciples all fled, and he was brought before uh, the first high priest, and then the high priest Caiaphas. In the middle of the night, remember? We remember that uh, last week as we looked at the scriptures, Jesus was unlawfully detained. He was unjustly tried. He was falsely heard. And he was tragically sentenced. 
Now, as we remember all of those details, we also need to remember this. The text last week started in Mark 14, and verse 54 said, And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So just think about that for a moment. Think about the boldness of Peter here. Think about that just moments earlier. You remember Peter was trying to defend Jesus in the garden, so he, he takes a sword and he slices off an ear of one of the guards. Remember they were trying to arrest Jesus, and Jesus stops him, rebukes him, heals the guard's ear. But now we see just an hour or so later, here we see Peter secretly sitting among the guards that were trying to arrest Jesus. That's guts, boldness. And I'd be terrified. I wouldn't be there. I'd be 20 miles out of Jerusalem by now, heading back to Galilee. But Peter is here. Yes, he did fall away, but he didn't fall far. He followed closely, and he's sitting with these guards. Now, we don't know if these were the same guards uh, as the ones that were in the garden, or if Peter is, is somehow concealing his identity here, but nonetheless, he's sitting with them. He's close to a fire, right? It's dangerous to be close to light, right, when you don't want to be identified. At any time, these guards could discover him, but they don't. But yet a servant girl approaches him. One of the servant girls of the high priest came. Uh, she was probably a doorkeeper of sorts. Verse 67, and seeing Peter warming himself, of course, he's by the fire. She looks at him. The original text really speaks about her looking intently at him. She looks at him intently here and says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. So take note, she identifies Peter as someone who has been with Jesus. Immediately, just ask your question, does, does the world immediately identify you as somebody who has been with Jesus? Now, we don't know how she knows that he's been with Jesus. Maybe, maybe she saw him in the, in the temple earlier together, maybe on another day. Whatever the case may be, in seeing his face, she recognizes Peter as a contemporary of Christ. A contemporary of Christ, the Nazarene. And so how does Peter respond to this? How, how does the guy who is so sure of his loyalty to Christ respond? Now, immediately in our minds, we should be rushing back to that conversation where Jesus told Peter that he's going to deny him from Mark 14, 30 to 31. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. To which Peter, greatly offended, responds, he says emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter, so sure of himself, so sure of his loyalty, believed that he'd have to be killed before he'd deny Jesus Christ. Again, think of that boldness of him to sit with the guards. I'm sure he was thinking even then, if one of those guys would discover me, I'm going to fight to the end. I'm going to stand with Jesus. But yet, we see this lowly servant girl approach Peter Someone who's not strong, someone who's not trained to fight, a young maiden, somebody insignificant, comes along and identifies Peter as a Christ follower. And then what happens to Peter? Peter just folds. Peter doesn't stand his ground. He doesn't boldly declare his allegiance to Christ. He so quickly denies even knowing Jesus. Verse 68, he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. 
Right? He, he denies knowing the person of Jesus or even understanding her accusation. It's like saying, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. And secondly, what you're insinuating is totally absurd. I don't get it. What are you even talking about? In fear, Peter attempts to disguise himself with his words. So much for that big talker. So much for, they will all fall away, but I will not. So much for, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. No, Peter is totally crippled by this accusation, right? Not by a priest, not by a scribe, not by some big strong guard, but by a weak, lowly servant girl. He disguises his identity by saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Friends, fear was ruling Peter's heart rather than faith. He was, just think about him in that courtyard. He would have been watching the whole trial. He would have seen Jesus at the end getting spit upon, slapped, and beaten in the courtyard And as he's watching that, fear is overwhelming him. His strength is drying up, and he caves under the pressure and denies even knowing Jesus. In the the 1500s, a famous reformer, Thomas Cramner, he was the Archbishop of the Church of England under King Henry VIII. He was influenced by the Protestant Reformation. He put together the 39 articles in the Book of Common Prayer, which is still in use today by the Anglican Church. But then after Henry VIII died and and his oldest daughter, Mary, ascended to the throne, she outlawed the Protestant faith. She brought back Roman Catholicism and she charged Thomas Cramner and others with treason because of their Protestant beliefs. Cramner was imprisoned for months. And then he was forced to watch his two Christian friends being burned alive at the stake. In that moment, as he was watching them, he folded in fear, like Peter. He recanted his faith in writing to the queen, and he ended up pledging allegiance to the pope in order to spare his life. So think of Peter watching Jesus being whipped and beaten. Similar story with Thomas Cramner watching his friends. He's scared. He's scared for his life. And so he recants even knowing Jesus. You and I aren't facing death threats today. right? We're not being... We're not being burned at the stake here in in Calgary, Alberta. But yet we still try to disguise our identity as Christians. We keep ourselves to ourselves at work. We skirt around the topic of faith when those conversations come up. And when religion comes up with the family, you know, maybe at Thanksgiving or something, we quickly change the topic or we leave the room. And we sometimes even apologize for Christianity. We let our fear rule rather than faith. Friends, denial is always lurking close behind fear. Now, the story of Thomas Cramner, it didn't end with these shameful recantations. In fact, as he was let out of prison, he was to go into the chapel and to read his, his recantations to the public, but as he stood to read them, he declared this, for as much as my hand offended in writing contrary to my heart, therefore my hand shall first be punished. For if I may come to the fire, it shall be first burned. And as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all his false doctrine. Ultimately, he confessed He turned from his recantation and and 
He renounced the Catholic faith. He calls the Pope the Antichrist, and then he's rushed out by a mob, strapped to a stake, and as they light it on fire, he thrusts the hand that wrote his recantations into the fire, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. To disguise yourself is to deny Christ. As Peter disguised his identity as a Christian to a servant girl, we're going to see another test coming. We're going to see him trying to create some distance from the situation. Verse 68b, And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Friends, to distance yourself is to disown Christ. To distance yourself is to disown Christ. Peter couldn't handle the heat, right? Not the heat of the fire, but the fearful heat of the rest of the crowd finding out who he really is. Now, the servant girl comes along. She suspected his identity before, and she sees him again, and she identifies him again. And he definitely does not want to be found out now by the guards. And so what he does is he tries to create some distance from the issue at hand. He moves away from the fire, away from the light, and he stands at a distance in the courtyard. He moves out to the gateway. Anybody ever sit by a door or stand by an entryway? You know, if, if something goes awry here, I can quickly escape. That's what Peter is doing here. And in this whole mess, in his fear, notice he doesn't hear the rooster. It, it doesn't seem like he even acknowledges the rooster. He doesn't remember what that all meant. The text just mentions a rooster crowed for the first time. There's, there's no immediate indication that it's affecting him at all. In the heat of the moment, his fear stops him and his fear moves him to distance himself from the situation. So he's standing at the gate of the courtyard, ready to escape at any minute, hoping the distance will hide his identity so he can still stay close to Jesus and see what's going on. But this servant girl again comes before him. But this time we see she doesn't address Peter directly. She addresses the bystanders around Peter. She says, this man is one of them. So Peter's distancing here doesn't help. He's being found out anyways. And so you think that he would, he would recognize the gravity of that first denial. That it went against everything that he believed. But no, again, Peter, operating in fear, not faith, distances himself, but he's still being identified. So verse 70 says, again, he denied it. So after he physically removes himself from the situation, his, his words not only denied Christ, but his actions are denying Christ as well. To distance ourselves from Christ is to disown Christ. This past summer, um, my family and I were having ice cream downtown Calgary, uh, Village Ice Cream. Anybody go there? Great place for ice cream. Recommend it. Uh, when, when all of a sudden, like we're, we're having some ice cream, and, and we're sitting outside, and this crazy-looking guy starts walking up the alley. He's packing a steel pipe in his hand, and he charges into the store where he starts waving that steel pipe around, poking it into the face of the girls working behind the counter. And as I watched this taking place before my eyes, there was that instant moment of decision. What do I do? A decision had to be made. I could either engage the situation, risk my well-being, or do what is right. In fear, I could, I could run away as far as I can, distance myself from an altercation, or run into the fight run into the issue. 
I could deny the help that these girls needed to save my own skin, run away from the situation at hand, or boldly step in and engage and do the right thing no matter the cost. To distance ourselves from situations, to distance ourselves from Christ, is to disown Christ. To fearfully run from from what is right, from being identified as a believer, is, is to say to the world, Jesus is not my Savior. I don't know him. If you want to find out what happened with that story, you can talk to me after. But to do that, to distance yourself, is to say that Jesus is not mine, I am not his, I don't even know him. I mean, you ever, you ever have that friend or, or family member who, who at times can be so embarrassing that all you want to do is get away from them? They're saying something and you're just like, you're cringing. I got to get away from this person. And, and you might even say to somebody, I'm not with this person. It's kind of the same thing. Sometimes we're embarrassed by our faith or we're ashamed to be seen as Christians. And so we create distance with the world, not wanting to be found out. Friends, to intentionally orchestrate our whole lives to avoid being found out as Christians is to disown Jesus Christ. Like Peter, we we may claim bold things in church, but when we go out into the world, we've created distance between us and Jesus, and the world sees it. We're disowning Jesus Christ. Just think about this for a moment. Just take up the challenge to go into your neighborhood, to go into every house on your block, to knock on the door of that house, and to try to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Now, when I, when I tell you that, what are you feeling? Are, you, are your knees instantly knocking? Are, are you like, that's craziness. I can't do that. That's scary stuff. Should it be crazy? Should our fears keep us back? Is this what was modeled for us in the New Testament? No. For many of us Christians today, even though we may think, um, we may not think of it like this, many of us have set up our lives in such a way that we separate our religious life from our secular life. We keep to ourselves at work, like I said. We don't engage the darkness around us. We isolate ourselves from the world. In order to protect ourselves from the world, we live in fear. We keep ourselves so busy that we don't even have time to be actually doing the mission that is set before us. And fear may also be driving some of that. We never get to a place of even talking about Jesus outside of our church or our homes. Now, there is lots of other things at play here, right? But we've got to look at fear at the center of a lot of it. But the point is that if we, if we live our lives where there is too much distance between our theoretical faith and our practical faith, which is living it out, what we're doing ultimately is disowning our Savior, who we claim to love. Just think about who Peter is. Think about the questions that Jesus asked and how Peter responded. Jesus once asked Peter in Matthew 16, 15 to 18, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who stands up? Peter, first, of course, spokesman, leader, Impulsive, Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter's bold statement in the presence of Christ was so bold, so true, so strong, and it was so blessed by Jesus. 
But yet fast forward to this day when he's standing before this young, weak servant girl and a crowd of bystanders, and he just folds, crippled in fear. And he distances himself and disowns Jesus. Are we distancing ourselves? Are we trying to get away from the heat of the battle? Are we disowning Christ? So the rooster crows like a cosmic warning bell. But it seems Peter is too afraid, too worked up to even hear it. And after he denies Christ for a second time, he's confronted yet again with a third opportunity. Will he stand for Jesus this time? Will he prevail? Or is he going to flee in denial? Verse 70. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. They're sure this time. They're certain of it. His face seems to be identified by this servant girl, and they even recognize that this guy is from out of town. He's not from Jerusalem. He's from Galilee. And they can tell by the way that he speaks. Matthew 26, 73. Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Friends, Peter here has a Galilean accent. Just like when, when, when we hear a brother or sister from Newfoundland or somebody from New York or even Boston, their accent is so specific to where they live. You're, you're certain you know where they're from. And so they're saying to him, we know where you're from. Your accent betrays you. We can hear it in your voice. Peter's found out here. But again, instead of boldly standing for Christ, he denies it even more boldly. Verse 71, he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. To denounce Christ is to disgrace Christ. The Greek word being used here is anathematizen. It's where we get the English word anathematize, which means to pronounce a curse of divine judgment upon himself if he's lying. And then it also talks about he's swearing here as well. He's he's swearing to these guys before God that he is telling the truth. What Peter is essentially saying here is, I swear to God under the threat of his judgment that I'm telling you the truth. I do not know this man of whom you speak. He doesn't even have the guts to mention Jesus' name. He disgracefully lies under oath of God's judgment. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Again, when you think about Peter, think about this man who so eloquently declared to Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. They may all fall away, but I'm not going to fall away. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. I don't know this man of whom you speak. For a third time, and ever so much more sinfully. He boldly swears against the God he claims to love. That he doesn't know who Jesus is. What a denouncement. What a disgrace. As we look at Peter, again, we turn the mirror on ourselves. We ask ourselves, like, We're often prone to do the same thing. We're prone to deny Jesus. You know, we think of Peter, we look back and we're like, well, because Peter can often, we can often even kind of, to an extent, kind of make fun of him here. Like, three times, Peter? Really? Like, you've seen Jesus with your own eyes. You've seen him living and breathing. You, you were with him for three years. You heard his teaching. 
You witnessed thousands getting healed by Jesus. Even your own mother-in-law was healed by him. You saw Jesus raise the dead. You saw Jesus multiply loaves of fish and bread. Peter was one of the inner three. He witnessed the very intimate moments with Jesus. Jesus in the garden, praying and suffering. Remember, Peter was also up on the Mount of Transfiguration before Moses and Elijah. Peter, if, you, if you've seen Jesus with your plain eyes, how could you deny him right now? Like I, We think that, well, well, we haven't seen Jesus, so it's a little easier for us to deny him. But not Peter, he's seen him. He even just witnessed Jesus heal the ear of that guard. How in the world could Peter denounce even knowing Jesus? He saw it all with his two eyes. I mean, if I was in his place, if I was walking with Jesus, if I saw all that Jesus was doing, I would truly believe. I wouldn't deny him. That's what we think. Peter's such a weak man. I would be strong. It's just like in the garden. We often look back at Peter and we think, well, you were so weak. We also look back to our parents in the garden. What were you doing? You were walking with God. You, you spent days in the garden with God. How could you deny him and take that fruit? You got to be in his presence every day. If I was in their place, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. That's how we often approach this. I know that to be true because I know myself. And I know you. I mean, we do this every day. We sin all the time. We disguise, distance, disown, denounce, and disgrace our Lord and Savior every time we turn to sin. It's our nature. We are sinners. We are weak. We are foolish. Just like our parents, Adam and Eve. Just like Peter. We need to, we need to be aware of that. We need to be careful not to boast so strongly in our own strength because we have none. We're so concerned about this virus right now. We're so concerned about this infectious virus that we can catch and it can ultimately kill. So much more do we need to be concerned about the infection of sin that we're born with? The infection of sin in our hearts, the infection that was passed down to us from the beginning, but even more than that, the infection that we keep walking in. We keep passing it around. The infection that we love Peter isn't unique here at all. It's the common story of humanity. It's the story we all share. Even as Christians, in our weakness at times, we are prone to fail. We are prone to operating in the flesh, not faith. And the fact that Peter, Peter is a leader of the apostles. He is the rock. That should show us that even the greatest are prone to this. No one is strong enough on their own. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Peter never thought he was going to fall. He thought he was strong. But he was weak. Friends, we are weak. We are foolish. To denounce Christ is to disgrace Christ. And Peter knows this as soon as the rooster crows for the second time. Verse 72. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down 
and wept. The, the other Gospels say that he wept bitterly. Friends, to have remorse is to have repentance. To have godly remorse is to have godly repentance. So Peter not only denied Jesus once, but three times. Three times. And then as he remembered how Jesus told them that he would, as he remembered his own foolish confidence, as the last words of denial fell out of his mouth, this rooster crows immediately. Immediately. Oh, how his heart would have sank. Oh, the, the sorrow we see him feeling. Oh, how he just realized the depths of what just happened. How he let his fear control him. How he failed to truly believe and to respond with bold action. He disguised himself. He distanced himself. He disowned Jesus. He denounced Jesus. And he disgraced the very one who loved him so much. And he broke down. Right then and there, he broke down and wept bitterly. True sorrow. Sorrow not about getting found out. Sorrow not about getting caught, but because he denied the Savior of the world. He denied his God. He disgraced him, his loyal friend, his leader. Godly grief. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Friends, if you have true godly remorse, you have true godly repentance. That's what we're after. As foolish as this story is about denial, we see at the end true sorrow over his sin. Peter recognized the depths of what he has done against a holy God. And so we see him responding rightly with a heart full of deep remorse and deep repentance. And this is exactly where the Lord wants all of us. He wants us to discover the depths of our own denial of him. He wants us to feel the weight of our sin. He wants to see the holy offense that is against his name in our sin. He wants us to see our weakness. And he wants us to be Deeply grieved by what we have done. Weeping bitterly should be happening in our lives. Our guys in the regroup this past week, the guys are going through the book of James together, and it's been a rich blessing. This past week, we went through James 4, 8 to 9. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Friends, there's not enough grief over sin in our lives. We take it too lightly. We need to mourn and weep over our sin against God. We need to stop laughing it off like this text says. Let your mourning be turned to, or let your laughter be turned to mourning. Like Peter, we need to realize and see that in our denial, it is such a great offense against the one who loves us, and we need to truly mourn our sin, repent with godly grief. Like Peter, we are weak. But as the Lord says to Paul and 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, in Peter, we agree, he was very weak. 
And that's a mirror for us to show ourselves. We are very weak. We need to feel the weight. And in the strength that God provides, we need to mourn and repent as we continually fail. So much more ought we we mourn to a place of repentance. And then even more than that, knowing that when we fail, Christ prevails. The great missionary Hudson Taylor once said this. He said, God chose me because I was weak enough. Not because I was strong enough. God chose me because I was weak enough. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough and then uses them. God needs to be greater. We need to be smaller. We need to see his power. We need to see our weakness. And this is the testimony of Peter's life. His failure reflects our own failure. Godly grief. Now, his story doesn't end with his failure. Although he denied his Lord and Savior three times, we know that God uses Peter greatly for the mission of the gospel across this world. Remember, when Jesus rose from the grave, John and Peter are racing to get to that grave. And then we know that when Jesus met his disciples on the shores of Galilee, he takes Peter off on his own. Remember that his fishermen returned to fishing, right? But then Jesus comes, takes Peter off on his own. And as we remember Peter's three denials, listen to how Jesus responded to him after his resurrection. John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? They're eating fish. Do you love me more than these fish that you're returning to fishing? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, we see Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Three denials followed by three times the grace. And we know the rest of the story. In the grace of God, Peter was the rock. He was the leader. Remember him, again, racing to that tomb. He was was the first during Pentecost to preach to preach powerfully, and thousands of people are saved. He was a man of deep prayer, leading the church in prayer and faith. He was in prison for preaching the gospel, and then he's miraculously released. Like Christ, he also heals many. He, he raises the dead. He faces persecution and ridicule. And he was even regarded from Paul as the apostle to the Jews, and then he dies as a martyr, just as Jesus told him he would. John 21, 18 and 19, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you want. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Christian tradition would say that Peter's death First, he watched his wife be crucified. And then he himself, facing crucifixion, requested to be hung upside down because he believed he was unworthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. That's the testimony of this fool. The fool that was transformed by the gospel. Friends, the gospel really saves. It really transforms And it urgently compels us to follow Jesus and stand with him until the end. 
To disguise yourself is to deny Christ. To distance yourself is to disown Christ. To denounce Christ is to disgrace Christ, but to have true godly remorse is to have true godly repentance. Peter's disastrous denial reveals our own disastrous tendencies in the flesh. And we need to be reminded of that daily, that we are weak, but Christ is strong. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Peter's life. What a dynamic man. What an impulsive person. What a, what a foolish and weak person. How it reminds us of our own weakness, our own folly, our own shame. Lord, we do deny you all the time before others. Lord, we... We confess that this morning. We confess that, Lord, and we ask that you would grant us godly grief, godly sorrow. Help us to understand more of what we've done so that we can see the love that you have is so much greater. Lord, we pray as, as, we, as we remember this moment, we remember Peter weeping, We remember Christ being beaten before him. Help us to remember the glory of the gospel that Jesus was smitten and afflicted for us, for Peter, this man who is denying him just before he's crucified. Lord, remind us how much we need you, that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. Lord, we pray that this week as we walk into an unknown week, we don't know what's going to come next on the news or how this virus is spreading. Lord, we do pray for faith, not fear. And may we use this time as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Lord, move our feet. Open our mouths. May we go boldly in your strength, we pray. In Christ's name.